what's up, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The One Man Show. I'm your host, Kay How's everybody doing today? Hopefully everybody's doing good. Today is episode 4B. We are going to continue with uh, Dr. Yusuf. Welcome back to the show. We're going to be talking about Islam and going through a series of questions that we had from last time. Uh, We got through four or five, maybe six questions, and we're kind of basically building up the background of what Islam is and some of the hot questions that uh, were constantly asked. Dr. Yusuf here is uh, an expert. For those just tuning in, can you kind of just give us a little bit background about yourself again and your credentials? Sure. So I have a few graduate degrees in theology and history and Islamic studies, and I'm also a lecturer, assistant professor, and um, teacher for various seminaries and colleges, avenues, educational avenues. Good, good. Yeah. So we have an expert in theology. You also said you had a PhD and a master's degree in theology and... And uh, Sciences of Historical Narrations. Yeah. Two masters and then two PhDs. MashaAllah. Yeah. Well, you're the perfect person to come to. So kind of for those who uh, were here for last episode, they kind of got to hear your expertise in religion and even in uh, not just in Islam, but also in Christianity and, and Judaism. And, and you said that you have read all the books. That's correct. Yeah. MashaAllah. Yeah. MashaAllah. Okay. Well, so we're just going to go. We're going to dive right into it. Sure. We're going to go ahead and start with the questions. The last question I asked you is what do Muslims believe about Jesus? And so. So we're going to continue on from there and work our way down through uh, whatever it is that we can get to. Yeah. So uh, thank you for coming back. Well, thank you. Really for appreciate yeah. it. Great. All right. So question: What does the uh, why does the Quran talk about Jesus more often than Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? All right. Great question. So is that true? First of all, yeah. I think I think people are slightly unaware of two things. Sometimes we think someone is being talked about because their name is addressed Mm. versus someone who is talked about not necessarily by direct nameage but instead synonyms or reflections of that person so the quran is full of reflections addressing the prophet muhammad using his first name a few times Mm -hmm. but particularly by status and role so you find verses, for example, Ya ayyuhal Nabi, O Prophet, Ya ayyuhal Rasul, O Messenger of God, Ya ayyuhal Muddathir, one who is wrapped due to the initial state of slight fright because of the revelation first initiated to him, Ya ayyuhal Muzzammil, etc. So you find that the Quran addresses the Prophet Muhammad on numerous occasions, but the usage of his name occurs just a few times. Oh, I see. see so yeah. they're mainly uh, is it's not only do they use his name, but God gives him uh, titles, titles, statuses, circumstances, yes, and sir. that's mentioned. So com- combining his names and yeah. his titles would that be more than Jesus? Yeah, it would be. Oh, okay, yeah, very okay. much so. Yeah. So the but, question yeah, really is is by you name, know. yeah. Okay. So that's the thing. I think some people have gotten slightly confused about that is because of how the literary addressing is set up in the Qur'an. It is true that Jesus is mentioned quite a bit. There's no doubt about that. But the Prophet Muhammad is mentioned more. So uh, why, why is Jesus mentioned so much? So we have to look into a historical sense, a number of things here. So the Prophet Muhammad is born approximately the year 570 mm-hmm. right, AD. And it is said that depending on your opinion, Jesus is, say, elevated to the heavens, depending on the opinion you hold, at the age of 33, approximately. Okay. Okay. So you look to this particular time frame, the the year of the Lord and Jesus' elevation and the birth of the Prophet Muhammad, and you can see that the time frame between the two isn't too far apart. We'd say approximately, right, uh, 537 years or Mm. so between them. Approximately. Okay. So. And during this time period for which is between Jesus and the Prophet Muhammad, uh, many things occurred, but still available was the concept of monotheism throughout history. Okay. And over time, say 300 years after Jesus, we had discussed this slightly in our previous episode. Correct. There was a council for which... Uh, people tried to make Christianity an orthodoxy. And in this orthodoxy, they basically said, this is what our belief is, this is our tenets, and those that hold a different opinion, such as the Arianists or Arianism, 
are basically heretics, people outside of, uh, innovators, people outside of that orthodoxy. And this was approximately, as we have said, about 350 years after Jesus. Mm -hmm. So what remains now, if you look to that calculation, the third council of the, the, the establishment of uh, prior to the Council of Nicaea, etc., and the uh, Constantinople Council, etc., was around 420 to reestablish the tenets. So the year 420, the birth of the Apostle Isaiah is 570. So you can see a slight time frame between the two. So there's a tremendous relationship between the two, especially in that they are so close to each other. Okay. Yes. So as a result, Jesus is mentioned quite a bit. And the Quranic narrative actually says that people that are sincere to Jesus and be them of Muslim character or Christianity or monotheistic Christianity will constantly have a a closer or nearness to the Almighty, elevated status in this world and the next. Okay. Why and those are people who are who consider Jesus to be sincere to them. Yes, people that hold and appreciate the role of Jesus salam, uh -huh. and his position and status with the Almighty. Okay. Be Muslim or Christian monotheists will in the sight of the Almighty constantly hold a lofty position in this life and the next life. Okay. Okay. So this is important. With that in mind, the Quran is trying to reestablish the Christian monotheism, mm. which is known as Islam. The role of Jesus, who he was, the message he held, how he prayed, etc. So if you look to, for example, the synoptic uh, scriptures within the New Testament, which is known as the four, the first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, in particularly in Matthew and Mark, and some in in Luke, you find. A number of occurrences where Jesus is showing prayers to the Almighty, a subordination to the Almighty, such as his prostration to the Almighty, sujood, we say in Arabic, sujood, his bowing, ruku'ah, we say in Arabic, his prayers, uh, O Lord, take away this cup from me, not by my will, but thou willest, willeth. His statement in Arabic, uh, lima sabaqtani, he's calling out to the Almighty, etc. So because of these reasons, you find the Qur'an wanting to re-establish his message because of the nearness and the popularity of the faith and asceticism and piety that's found in the faith. Wow. I never knew that. And mashallah, you know, it's funny how you think you know a lot about something until you get an expert. And then when the expert comes <laughs> in, you realize that you don't know much. But this is why I am uh, feeling blessed that you came here Thank to you, not only teach me. I mean, I'm learning as you're talking, but also kind of explain to the public, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Christian or Jew or atheist or whatever religion they be, what Islam is. Right. And this is this is this is perfect. Thank you very um, much. So Jazakallah Khair. Khair people pleasure. means uh, explain what yeah, that means yeah, exactly. You're asking the Almighty to descend the uh, so a person has done good to you and you ask the Almighty to recompense that person with blessings and happiness and goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I hope all those for you. Yeah, many <laughs> many um, OK, so we've established basically who God is. In Islam, we've just, we've established the difference between the prophets, the stories of the prophets in Christianity and, and Islam. We've uh, established who Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was in last episode, and and now Jesus and Mary. So let's kind of dig a little bit deeper into Islam, and, and, and a lot of people ask me about prayer. A lot of people know that, that Muslims pray often, but a lot of them don't know exactly how we do it. So I'm going to ask you, you know, how many prayers there are and, and what it is that we do. But I want to get to a really highly asked question after you explain that. So go ahead really quick and explain to us um, the five prayers and kind of just a little bit about that. Sure. So there's a Quranic verse that says, um, so it essentially is talking about the importance for humankind to reflect upon the greatness of the Almighty. Subhanallah. These verses are verses that talk about the five daily prayers. What did, so what you just said, what did that mean in English? Exactly. Translate. So the translation of the meaning 
when it comes to the reflection upon the verses of the Quran in Arabic is that take into consideration the supremacy and greatness of the Almighty as you embark on your day-to-day transactions. Mm. Start with the tumsun and tusbihun. Take serious reflection about this concept starting your day early on in the early dawn. Like when you wake up. For example, and that is commonly known as Fajr, Salatul mm-hmm. Fajr. Mm-hmm. And it continues to reflect upon this aspect of the midday, um, the midday um, zenith. So a zenith is basically the highest point for which the sun stands okay. in the day. And this is reflected upon the length of the shadow that is found on earth. So this moment, once it starts to descend, so in the morning, right, it rises. It rises from the east, correct? Correct. And it rises and it gets up. And as it's doing so, it hits this zenith. And what happens, it starts out with a long shadow and it's riding, rising. And as it gets closer and closer to the pinnacle, the zenith, the shadow gets smaller and smaller until it hits the zenith where the shadow is pretty much non-existent. And after it starts to descend, okay, towards the other direction, the shadow starts to re-increase, okay? And right about this point is the concept of the second prayer, which is known as Luhur prayer. Mm-hmm. And upon this reflection, same thing, take into consideration the concept of the Almighty and piety towards them and thankfulness. And this shadow continues to grow until it hits a point of approximately reflecting the same size of the entity full on. And that is the indication for which the next prayer takes into consideration, which is the evening prayer, Asr prayer. And it continues thereafter until sunset. And then sunset to the removal of the skyline, a light skyline, the reddish horizon, is another prayer known as Maghrib, and then the night prayer thereafter. So these Quranic verses are reflecting upon these. And essentially it's trying to, Islamic theology holds importance to two things. One is the physical, nature of the human being, and the other is the spiritual. So uh, there is something in uh, among Islamic jurisprudence or maximums. It is known as al-duratul uh, khams. Okay. Imam al-Shatibi, he talked about this, for example. It is basically arguing what the purpose and goals of, of the Islam is. The goals of it to civilization. That's what it translates to. Yes, al-duratul khams. The five? The five essentials. Essentials, okay. Yeah, the maxims. And essentially, it is arguing that Islam is goal to society, to humankind, individual, and as a congregation, as a pluralism, is the preservation of faith, okay? The preservation of al-aql, the intellect, the preservation of, of the nafs, which is life, the preservation of life, the preservation of the next generation, children, and the preservation of the fruits of our deeds, okay? These are the main goals. So freedom of choice and preservation of faith, the preservation of the intellect, okay? The preservation of life, of the human life. That's why Islam denounces death, to kill, murder. Mm. The preservation of the next generation, children, offspring, and the preservation of the fruits we endow upon our hard work the sweat of our brow, for example. And these are the main goals it's trying to preserve Islam the entire time. Okay. In all of its rulings, and all of its discussions, as a result, you have a uh, seventh century theologian, eighth century theologian, Ibn Taymiyyah, saying that, it is very formidable and important for a person who chooses Islamic monotheism to understand that the purpose of the ambassadors of God, messengers, prophets, is to um, it is to reach and establish and elevate the betterment for society and to perfect it and to uh, remove corruption, harm, evil, and in this context, if not that, taqliliha, to reduce it. فَإِنَّ الرُّسُلْ بُعِثُوا لِتَحْصِيلِ الْمَصَالِحِ 
for verily ambassadors, etc., are inspired for this purpose. Okay. To bring about the greater good and to reduce greater evil. And so the five essentials. So the five essentials are related to the five prayers. I'll explain to you. So the five okay. essentials are related to this concept. We just talked about the Islamic theology and holding. And it is very much in these five essentials you find the preservation of the physical self, some of the things we do in our life, regulatory mm -hmm. life, and then you find the indication of the spiritual self there also, the intellectual self, etc. How is that related to prayer? So prayer has a physical nature to it in Islamic theology, and it has a very much a spiritual nature to it. So the spiritual nature is more important than the physical movements we're doing. Okay, that's the physical part. That's the physical part. we're moving, we're going up and up down, and prostrating, yes, prostrating, we're bowing, bowing etc. Okay. Uh, the Quranic narrative is saying, when it comes to prayer, the concept of prayer in what you do of uh, consciousness to God, remembrance of God, is greater than the mere physical movements a person does. Oh, okay. Now, how is that related to what we are talking about here? If we take that the physical nature of a human being is extremely important in Islamic theology, its preservation, and that the spiritual nature is also extremely important, even more important, and that there is a relationship in philosophy that uh, the things we do on our outside does affect our inside, and the things we do on the inside does affect our outside, we eat, doctors recommend, small meals throughout the day versus very large meals, mm -hmm. okay? And in this mirror image, when it comes to prayer, prayer is very similar. Small meals throughout the day, small remembrances throughout the day, small meals will keep you healthy, small prayers throughout the day will keep your spirit healthy, small meals throughout the day will give you energy, small prayers throughout the day will give you spiritual energy between meals, etc. Wow, that's, uh, that's very profound and, and uh, deep. I didn't realize, I mean, I knew we prayed, but I, I always had the, the concept that if you want to always be constantly reminded of, of God and having God in your life and, and making sure that you're doing good stuff, uh, three, four, five hours, and then you pray. And then two, three, four, depending on the, the time of the year, right? Yeah. Uh, three, four, five hours. Uh, I'm sure that's part of it, but what you said uh, really makes a lot more well, sense. And, and so... Yeah, the Islamic prayer is not new. Like I had said, if you look back to the Synoptic Bible, uh, Old and New Testament, you find reflections very similar when, to the Islamic prayer we have nowadays, such as prostration, mm. such as bowing, such as standing, etc. And you can see that practice done in many Christian orthodoxies. And the way they pray, sometimes they do standing, sometimes they bow, and they still have that preservation. It's very similar to the Islamic approach. And we believe that Jesus taught a similar prayer like Moses, etc., and that the Prophet Muhammad is rejuvenating that thing, as you can see. It seems to be what Prophet Muhammad did in his entire message was bring back a lot of what the former prophets had already talked about or said or asked the people that God wanted them to do, yeah. and it either was lost or was changed, yeah. and he brought, he brought them back to... Guidance. That's the, that's one of the argumentations. That's great. On top of all the new stuff that he may have introduced. On top of the some of the stuff that he may have introduced for the betterment of, of society. Like car laws, when cars were first innovated yes. and constructed, the laws of the roads are, were different. Uh, if right. you were to compare it to our time now. Uh, the engines of their time are much weaker to the engines we have now, the ability during that time and our time, etc. So obviously there has to be an innovation or change to keep the preservation of the goal of safety. So similarly, when it comes to ambassadors of God, it's, it's very much the same thing. Yeah. SubhanAllah. Okay, so the big question I wanted to ask you, and I get this a lot, and it's, it's a really difficult one for me to explain, not because of the lack of knowledge, but just to put it in perspective, especially in a society where a lot of things are co-ed, here in the United States, right? You yeah. go into a church, a man and a woman are praying right next to each other, right? Yeah. Even if they're husband and wife, or maybe not. So I get this question a lot, and, and, and the question is, in large groups, women pray behind men That's correct. in Islam, correct? That's correct. Um, why is that? Okay, so let's clarify something just beforehand. Sometimes it is true that a woman might pray next to a man. It might occur 
because of the space or the circumstance. Like you go to Mecca, mm-hmm. you find that occurring sometimes. This is true. It is true, right? Especially time of Hajj. A time of Hajj, etc. Which is pilgrimage. Yes, the great uh, the ten day yeah. pilgrimage yes, that very so. Muslims. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Okay, so it isn't necessarily a universal implication. As for a, a traditional stance where it does occur if you go to various mosques, the reason, one of the reasons behind that that Islamic theologians hold is because of the preservation of the female and her being a jewel and that her, the concept of prayer and the idea of distraction. So the argument is there are certain movements and positions in a congregational prayer where it involves standing, bowing, and prostration that won't be very inspirational for a person who's praying behind a female gender, especially if he's a man, for example. And to put them in that type of circumstance, Sam is trying to say, is unbehaving un, uh, and is undeserving. So this is one of the things that are mentioned by that, among others, the um, concept of having babies and having to breastfeed, and, and the list goes on. So Islamic theologians traditionally, they held that view and they discussed it. Now as for, maybe you'll find that if you ever read history or something, there was a female scholar that led men in prayer or something of this nature. And that did occur, okay? The only thing was, you know, she was dressed well and she was in a place for which she wasn't exposed in the prayers. And this is something that you'll find Islamic jurisprudence scholars having discussed before. Like Ibn Jiri al-Tabari, he mentioned it's okay. And you'll find... Um, other scholars from the Shafi methodology, etc. So it did occur and it had happened. It is true. And there were leader females in circumstances, but it wasn't necessarily the rule. Right? It was kind of an, uh, the exception. I'm sure there, there's men out there that can control their emotions and their distractions, mm-hmm. but not everybody's the same. Yeah. And so some men may be distracted and maybe some men may have not so good intentions. Yeah. And to avoid for the protection of the woman is what yeah, you're saying, yeah. that they kind of are separated yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So let's discuss this. Like if I'm praying at home with my spouse and she prays next to me, it's okay. Okay. Right. She doesn't have to be behind me or my daughter, for example, right. or my mother, for example. And as I have said, there have been circumstances where a female had led men in prayer. Okay. But we're talking about a scenario where now you're in public and there's mixed circumstances and mm, we never know what is going on in the, who it is, the, of, of the, the genetic nature of a man and the level of transgression that has been done by this gender to the female gender in history, among other things. So they argue that the, the greater preservation is probably best to do it like this. That's a, a rule, but of course there are exceptions. There are well, exceptions. Many, many throughout history, and nowadays you go to Medina, Mecca, it's, it's just... So it has nothing to do with... A woman being less than or unequal to yeah. In this case, it's not necess- That is not necessarily the main main discussion here. That's good. Yes, yeah. a lot of people have always wondered: Do they sit behind the men because yeah. they're yeah, not no. looked as the no. same, or no, no, women no, have no. equal rights? Yeah, and, yeah, no. yeah. Oh, yeah. The Quran. We're gonna get to that. Yeah, there's we'll a touch there's, on it. But yeah. Just through a quick mention: like In the Quran, men and women are equal. Yes, yeah, they're equal. There is a role play, but men and women in the sight of the Almighty are equal. I see what you're saying, as yeah. far as like reward and punishment. Reward and punishment with the Almighty, uh, halal and haram, known as permissibility, impermissibility, uh, rulings, establishments, all the same. But there is a concept of role play, and that is a, another discussion. Uh, well, since we are kind of talking about women, let's yeah. go ahead and dive into some of the questions uh, about women in Islam. Sure. So one of the Biggest questions that I get, and I just asked that, um, are men and women equal in Islam? Yeah. And you said... Yeah, in the sight of the Almighty, they're equal. And uh, in the sight of rulings, they're equal. Okay. Right? And the sight of awamir, which is things called for to apply in a person's life, they're equal. And what's interesting is people don't know this about language. Sometimes in, in language, uh, particularly in Arabic, what can happen in the Quran is maybe the masculine form of a noun is used, but it actually addresses both the male and female. And in Arabic, also, the feminine form could be used and addresses both the male and female, unless there's something specific to say otherwise. So one more time, linguistically, say we're in this room together, okay, and maybe five of us are men, and okay. there are a few females here. 
In Arabic, you can just use the masculine noun or verb to address the group. And you don't need to say also the female. So if you use the masculine noun, it can mean both of them okay. all into one. Okay, this is linguistics. Oh, it's not disrespect, but this is just linguistics. The opposite is also true. Say the majority of are in the room are female and you use the feminine noun, but there are some men, it also addresses the men. Okay. So this is important when it comes to linguistics and when you refer to the Quran. So there are circumstances where the masculine noun is used and it's for both, unless there's something specific to say otherwise. And the opposite in the prophetic traditions are also true. But what's interesting is the Quranic verse it says in the Muslimina wal Muslimati wal Mu'minina wal Mu'minati wal Qanitina wal Qanitat. So there are some verses that specifically want to clarify to the society, to both male and female, uh, female Muslims, female males, uh, female pious individuals, male pious individuals, fasting females, fasting males, etc. This is this the translation. Is, yeah, yeah. This is the translation of the meaning that has been described here. And it uses specific nouns and gender-oriented words, specifically for both of them. And then it says, uh, What is promised for such people is paradise, etc. So the Quranic verse is clearly addressing the female gender here. Very powerful verse. So promise for them, forgiveness, happiness, utopian abode, etc. And he and God is addressing, addressing both the male right here specifically, both the female, female and the female. Right. So there's no confusion. There's no confusion, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. What does the Quran say specifically about women's rights? As I have said, uh, women have equal rights. The, the female gender has equal rights. I mean, does the Quran mention something specific that say, you know, these are your rights or what you just answered just now where when he's saying these are the rights for the men, it includes the women too? Unless otherwise specified. Yeah, so this Quranic verse, for example, it shows that they're, they're equal. Okay. Rights-wise, respects-wise. And this is in the sight of God and throughout the Quranic narrative. The question for role play is a secondary question. Okay, so in this, for example, there are certain things of the physical nature of the female is different than the male, like menstruation. Mm. That involves role play. So mm -hmm. there are going to be th certain jurisprudic discussions about a circumstance of female administration, whereas a male doesn't have that, for example. So God, and, yeah, discuss exactly. Those so things. there is role play. Okay. Okay. But in the sight of the Almighty, they're equal. Okay. I heard a story that, and I don't know if this is hadith or, or where it's coming from. Uh, it's an Islamic story. Okay. That, so you know, Adam was created yeah. from uh, clay. Right, from the earth. Yeah, a number of things, but a combination of hydrogenic material from earth-like substances, yes, with the uh, miraculous compound of the Almighty. So right. Adam was a miracle in right, that right. sense, yeah. And that he created Eve, God took a rib yeah. from... and they yeah, yeah, so just to clarify, like the rib component yes. and what it entails by such a thing. Is it metaphorical or is it literal? Right. And this is a discussion among Islamic muhaddithun, scholars of prophetic tradition. Okay, so if you look in the Quran, the, the, the rib narrative isn't there. Okay. Okay, what you do find in the Quran is the Almighty saying he had, you know, yeah, Oh people, oh humankind, we've, we've, we've made you descendants and have made you uh, come to be through the process of a male and female. Okay. And it does say in other places of the Quran, Adam, and it does say Eve. And it talks about their scenarios together and the role between them. Women ayati and khalaqa lakum min anfusikum From among the miraculous signs of the Almighty and symbols is that from uh, the nature of humankind, of yourselves, the Almighty has made to be with you and to be a part of you and to live in. Uh, harmony, the female. And it is a code of the Almighty that there is mawadda and rahma. Wadda is loving mm. mannerism and rahma and mercy between the two. 
so that there is a, a lovely home, for example. So as you can see, the Quranic narrative is very unique. As for the discussion of the rib, as I have said, it, it, it's deeper among Islamic theologians. But one thing they do agree upon is the aspect that the rib is a symbol of nearness to the human being. Mm. Okay, so we look to ourselves, our ribs cover our heart, isn't that right? Right. And that is, that's the discussion. Essentially, you have a being who's supposed to, you and it and or her are supposed to live in nearness and understand that you need one another. And without one another, it's very difficult to exist. Imagine removing your rib. Right. And a rib is a representation of something very deep and innate, as if it's alluding to the heart. Okay. Because what I heard also, and I, 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 like, yeah. I like that theory, the closeness. I yeah. heard that it was, the, the rib was chosen because it's in the middle of the human. The ribs are in the middle of yeah, us, yeah. right? Yeah. God didn't take from the head or from the top part of our body to make a woman to, to indicate. Maybe some people would have thought that they are better than, or he didn't take it from a lower part of the body yeah. that people thought that a woman is less than, but he yeah. took it from the wasla, yeah, yeah. From, the, from the middle area of a human yeah. that to show that the woman is equal. Yeah. To the man, yeah, yeah, is that yeah. Like any I, credible? Is there any credible source to that? It's, it's, it's understandable based upon the analysis of the Quran. Okay, because everything, the Quran, in Islamic tradition, one of the mistakes people make is a concept known among theologians, al juziyun al juziyun are a people that do not take the established references as a whole, but they isolate things, and this is among Islamic theologians not a good thing to do. The Quran has... You need to read everything. Everything is interrelated, yes. Everything is interrelated. And al-juz'iyun causes extremism. Mm. They Iso take one verse, two verses, yes. Yes. and they turn it into whatever they want. Yeah, and this is a problem with the far right and the far left. In Islam. In Islam. Yeah. Okay. Also, for polemics, like people that write against Islam, they do the exact same thing as the 0.01% of people that attribute themselves to Islam of extremism are doing. Mm. So the people that write against Islam certain, in certain outlets and media outlets, etc., or books, authorship, they're doing the exact same thing. They don't take it as a whole. Whereas the Quran is saying you should, the Quran should be read as a whole and the prophetic tradition should be established, prophetic tradition should be taken as a whole, supporting one another. And the extreme uh, elements within Islamic identity, which is not Islamic, because Prophet ﷺ he said, "Halak al-mutanatiyun." Destroyed are the people that. What was that first word you said? Halaka. Halak al-mutanatiyun, which means which means that basically one has destroyed themselves and destroyed the the spiritual theology of Islam. Al-mutanatiyun, people that uh, cause extremism, extremism in elements of faith which is not part of it. You see? And as extremism result, isn't in anywhere in Islam. It's nowhere in Islam. Yeah. I mean, even when it comes to prayer, I mean, we're not all day praying, That's right? Correct. That's correct. We're yeah. just praying five times yeah, a day. Late prayers. Yes, when correct. we fast, we fast uh, one month in the year, yeah. not every month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is sunnah, which yeah. is like a bonus. Voluntary, I call it yeah, bonus, yeah, voluntary yeah. or bonus yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But it seems like everything in Islam yeah. is... Not too extreme uh, or like too strict that's correct. and not too loose. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even when it comes to spending your money, yeah. you're not supposed to hoard it. Yeah. That's correct. But you're not supposed to give it all away. And that's what the, that to me is the most beautiful thing about Islam, other than all the miracles and everything, yeah. but that yeah. God is trying to tell us that, hey, you know, Adin Yusuf, not also yeah. Adin. Yeah, yeah. The religion is a guidance and not a hardship. Yeah, yeah. There's always an exception. Yeah. God forgives and God understands that He made us this way, right? That's right. That's right. I'm getting off into the weeds no, here. Great. I want to stick to the. You, you to mentioned the woman something part. very important. This is related. Okay. Right? This is related to the female gender because there is one extreme that wants to take off everything from her, mm. take off her clothing entirely. And there's another extreme that wants to cover them, cover them up to great extremes. And both are incorrect. Al-adl, justice is in between. And that's why al-juz'iyun, as we have said, this, uh, this phenomenon of isolating texts and not reading the Quran as one chapter and taking the prophetic tradition as one chapter, etc., get confused. So what's interesting in the uh, prophetic lessons of tradition, traditional studies of a hadith, a established teaching, 
saying, action, mannerism of the Prophet Muhammad One of them, and I'm grateful for this, is I have a train, chain of transmission, transmitters, preservers of his traditions up to the Prophet Muhammad And one of these chain of transmissions that I have, the teaching is in... Um, so the, the tradition is saying, verily religion is of ease. It is ease. And it brings about ease. And whoever makes the religion stringent, where it's not supposed to be, it will overcome. It will defeat him. It will defeat him. And when it defeats him, we say it burns him out. It takes him out. And then he falls into despair sometimes, or she falls into great despair. And some people might even say, forget God is too much, or something of this nature. Or they'll say, God will never forgive me. Mutanatti' is known as, which is actually considered from the major faults in Islam, major sins, is that a person says to themselves, God does, will not forgive me. And as a result, they just go and they don't ask for forgiveness. Or wow, that's one of the major. One of the major sins, yeah. Because wow. God's always forgiving. Always forgiving. That's why Allah, he says in the Quran, he says, Ya ibadil ladhina israfu ala anfusim la taqnatu min rahmatillah. Inna Allah yaghfiru al-dhunub jami'an al-ghafur rahim. Wa anibu ila rabbikum aslimu la. Oh, you have transgressed against themselves or yourself. La taqnatu min rahmatillah. Don't fall into despair of the mercy of the Almighty. Despair here means like, God will never forgive me. There's no way I can turn back to God or turn to face God. Or it's, the, too late. it's too I've late. I've done so much. You've done so much. There's no There's way no that way. God, I'm just going to keep doing it. I heard this is the devil that it really kind of convinces you yeah. so that you you won't ask for yeah, forgiveness. Exactly, and and or like Ibn Taymiyyah is saying, it's also from the major sins to say God won't forgive so and so person or so and so people. Hmm. To say that as well is considered from major sins. The, the Quranic verse continues to say, and it says afterwards, it says, "Inna Allah The Almighty Subhanahu wa Taala forgives all sins. He is the one who pardons and forgives and is the merciful, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as a result, if you know that he is loving, compassionate, forbearing, merciful, wanting to forgive and forgives, turn towards the Almighty. In sincerity, anibu means you turn towards with repentance, like a return back. And, and stay humbled and, and uh, stay, keep yourself humble and sincere to him and approach him through that monotheistic approach. What about, what about like people who, let's say they do that yeah. and then they fall off yeah. and then they go back yeah, that's, and then they that's fall not, off. Yeah. Is that okay? It's, that's perfectly fine. And what, you won't believe this. I'm going to say something here. I think most of the people won't know this, but the Quranic narrative says that Yubaddilullah um, sayyatim hasanat. Like if a person is just doing so much wrong, okay, and then they stop and they repent and they ask the Almighty for forgiveness, those heaps of sins, meaning you might say currencies with the Almighty, mm -hmm. will actually be turned into heaps of good deeds. So wow. yeah, you've done all this wrong and then you want to stop doing that and you start working good. Those sins will be turned into heaps of good deeds. But what if like you do good but, and for... then you go back yeah. and then you do it again. The Almighty, as long as... You're still alive and the jugular vein is still going. You haven't met the Almighty yet. The opening for forgiveness is always available. This is what Islamic theology teaches. And what's interesting no is... No matter what. No matter what. You just have to try. You just have to try. What about those sins that people commit on other people? That is something of known as the counseling retribution. Okay? So that concept, the rights, there, there, there are sins known as rights between society and humans and mm -hmm. then the rights of God. So the right Give me of, an example. So for example, stealing from a person. Okay. Slander. Oppression. Slandering oppression. Slandering oppression, etc. Or like some of these parents that treat their kids bad. Yeah. False testimony. Abuse. Abuse, like etc. The right meaning of God and the right of the person. So the Almighty might forgive you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the person might not forgive you. Okay, so we believe that the Almighty is the most just and In the meaning of the Almighty and uh, this platform where retributions are established and justification is established, such as Hitler and yeah. what he has done, right. a balance will be established and justice will be established.
Okay. When? Especially when they meet the Almighty. In the afterlife. In the afterlife. Okay. Especially then. It might occur in life. Might not. So okay. maybe somebody goes through abuse. He goes through abuse. And he grows up. God rewards him with fame or money yeah, or a good job exactly, or something. Exactly. You just or don't he know. may go his whole life normal. And then in the day of judgment or in the for afterlife. That specific thing, right. For that specific thing, the Almighty will hold the person accountable. Regardless. So Even if, he, let's say somebody did something wrong to me yeah. and they spent the rest of their life religious. Yes. He'll still be held accountable. He's accountable. He's accountable for that. At the same time, the Almighty might place something in the heart of the one who's oppressed and make him happy enough to say, I forgive him. Mm. Because there's some, there's some evil stuff out there. There's no doubt about that. You and know? that's why we had talked about that. Islam, there's a balance. The Almighty's mercy is greater than their, their retribution. Mm. This is a code we hold. There's no doubt about that. But there's a balance. And I think this is one of the things that if you, um, if you hold, if you outweigh one side and ignore completely the other side, then there's too much transgression. And as a result, Islam does hold the view that wrongdoings, there's an accountability to it, especially towards other people. Right. And that's why greater harm is to do a wrongdoing to someone else versus wrongdoing yourself. I've had some people approach me. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. So for example, we might say a person does a major fault, a major sin. Yes. But it's just between him and the Almighty. Mm -hmm. It was behind closed doors. Right. That's between you and God. What's worse is you do a major fault to someone else. Like this is the worst thing you can Hurting do. Hurting somebody. To society. Yeah. Assault. Yeah. Abuse. Yeah. yeah. This is considered. Because, you know, I'm thinking like right now the most extreme. Like um, I even hate to say this word, but like a pedophile, oh, for yeah. instance. Yeah. I mean. It, it angers. It angers. Angers me. Yes. I don't even, you know, yeah. I don't even, I know it's out there. I don't know anybody who's yeah. done it, but yeah. it angers oh, it's, me. It's a lot. It's and I don't prevalent. want yeah, them to be forgiven. I, I want them to be held accountable and punished. There is accountability. There is accountability. Even if they ask for forgiveness? And In the end, the Almighty's rahmah and his forgiveness is acceptable and it is there. And the Almighty might forgive what's between him and the Almighty. Mm -hmm. But what remains is what he has done and transgressed to, to other person. people. Yes. Yeah. So that has a platform. Different than what? Then just mere the Almighty forgiving a person between the souls. Okay. The person, if you if you harm or you take away the right of another person, right. to make that right is not that you just sit in the mosque and say, God, forgive me. That's a starting step. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, if you stolen, you tried to give the money back to the person. Right, right, right. If you stolen, you can't give the money back to him. Do something with the money, such as charity. Go f build a well in a port. You know, bring about medicine for people. Or if you spent the money, maybe help their community. Help the community. Labor do what you can, labor-wise. Yeah. Do something. Show show it. Show the that's Almighty that you're remorseful. That's an indication, yeah. Especially when it involves other people's rights. Mm -hmm. But yes, in general, it is true that rights, sins involve between you and the Almighty and then the rights of another person. The rights of another person is, is a very dangerous slope for a person to go on. We, we jumped a few steps yeah, here. Yeah, no worries. I want to go back to the women. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to talk about... Uh, really quick, just true or false. Yeah. Are there any Islamic teachings which limit a female's right to education? No. False. False. That's okay. Correct. Yeah. If anything, uh, some of the greatest scholars of Islam were women. Uh, you know, I heard that the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, would actually want women to get more educated so that they may help other women. Definitely. In situations that a segregation or maybe a woman's shy to tell a man her personal problems or her yeah. issues that Definitely. she's having. Yeah, and yeah. so it would be good if there was a doctor or a, uh, some some kind of profession that the, yeah. that the women needed. And and also if the woman is an expertise in that field or she's really good at it, much yeah. so she should share and give what she has, right? Definitely. So it's Islam promotes, promotes it, yeah. education for females. Very much so. Yeah. And it's a very big topic. It's very deep. We, we can bring about lots of Examples. Lots of examples. Yeah, I just wanted a, a good true or false. Yes, sir. Because I want to. I want to touch on the hijab. Yeah, sure. To me, yeah. and this is personally, I don't believe that just because a person doesn't dress modestly doesn't make them a bad person. I believe that what people have internally yes. means more than what how they dress. Yeah. But at the same time. I also think modesty is a good thing. To me, it shows a person is trying to show the world their character rather than their looks. Um, not that anybody's looks, there's anything wrong with anyone's looks or, or anything like that. So why does a woman have to wear a hijab in Islam? So 
of course, we're not talking about children, etc. We're talking right. about when a woman gets old. Right, right, has, of yeah, age. Yeah, and she's healthy. Now, when is the age that they need to start? Very good. When she becomes into womanhood, there's a discussion. Like, she starts to get her menstruation, but there's also the intellectual aspect that involves, among other things as well, and the physical nature of things. But we, I think what we should ask ourselves right now and um, reevaluate about this discussion, about the hijab for the female. First, we're not talking about children or girls. Secondly, we're not talking about a legitimate need not to wear certain levels of clothing. Right? If you're in the hospital and you're sick, you have to undress sometimes right. Right? so they can right. intervene. And there are a number of other examples. Also, we're not talking about between females, mm -hmm. right? let's say, or family members, male family members. Like my mother is not going to, she doesn't dress the same when I'm with her, just her and I, as she does in public. Okay. And we're also not talking about older women, right? We hear the term menopause, etc. Mm. We're not talking about them as well. So it's a differentiation. We're talking about an interval of time for a healthy young woman. So not the first essence prior to womanhood and not second essence past the physical prime of womanhood. Because mm -hmm. that's why you find in many Islamic historical civilizations, until now, the older women, they're not dressed in certain ways. Right. But, but they still, do wear the hijab because they're used to they're it. They're used to it and they yeah. like it and they appreciate it and they, they hold God consciousness to it. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. Even though they're not, they don't have to. They don't have to. But the idea of modesty is still innate in, in their nature. Now, as for the hijab now, in, in now we're talking about this interval of space without an exception, not in, for medicine or anything of this nature, or between women or family members. We're saying outside in public, that doesn't involve these things. Okay. okay. Yes. Now, this is the discussion. Okay. What's the purpose behind it? A traditional stance is the, the preservation of her, to protect her from harm. Okay. But it's a two-way street. Because the Almighty says in the Quran, What is required of the man is to avert his gaze. What's required of the man is to preserve his dignity and respect the person across from them. Okay. So it is a two-way street. It is requirement of a man to dress. He himself has a form of hijab. Like, mm -hmm. I dress a certain way in front of my mother mm -hmm. that I don't dress with a, a foreign young lady right. in her presence. Right. You may wear shorts around the house. For example, short or shorts or something very of this short nature. Shorts, yeah. yeah. This things I, the way with my mother, my spouse, etc. is different. But in public But in public, the concept of self dignity and modesty. So clothing is So a man also has restrictions. He, he also has restrictions. Like sometimes okay. we just throw I the think a lot of people side. don't know that. Yeah, they, they don't know that. Lots and what is the restriction for a man? I'll explain to you. So the way a man dresses in a traditional sense with his mother or his spouse, his sister it's not going to be the same for which he is sitting with a foreign young lady, a mature young lady. And in this context, for example, there is a discussion as to what is the hijab for a man. But one thing is certain, the region, you say, in between the thighs and uh, the abdomen are requested to at least be covered. Mm. So that is a hijab. So sometimes... Um, Speedos and stuff like this is not it's not a good not idea. Yeah, it's not if you go out swimming in public and you do that, you know, or super short shorts or in a presence for which there is, you know, it's not a good circumstance that could lead to something even worse. So the men's hijab also involves when you're in a circumstance that by declothing yourself will lead to something even worse. That's also considered a, a negativity. Okay. So as a result, you have discussions, right? Yeah. You have to look to your environment, what you are, what are you doing, who are you around, these types of things. So the hijab, the purpose of the hijab is preservation for the male and the female. And the female. And the female. So sometimes we think the hijab is just a headscarf for the hair for the female, and this is incorrect. Hijab is a type of lining that covers something, and it is used metaphorically, but you know, uh, hijab. Yeah, uh, like a veil. A veil. A veil, yeah. and this a covering veil, up of something, of some some element, yeah, a preservation, a covering up of something. So, like for example, it could ran, be a veil on a building. It could be veil, like rana ala For example, there could be a covering up on the souls okay. of people, right? And it is because the, the ayah says, "Bimakanu uh, is for that which they have been doing. They have covered their spiritual uh, freedom mm. with a negative shroud." So Which yeah. is a veil, a form a of veil, hijab. Yeah, yeah, a form of hijab. Um, there's also a form of hijab on our eyes. We can't see the angels. Yeah, the, exactly. Hijab is, is a very interesting thing. I mean, it, it uses the letter jim, and sometimes the word jim is used to indicate something that of a covering. 
in Arabic language. What does that mean? Like language, the discussion of language, is it something human beings learned on their own or was it something that was inspired by God? Okay, so one view is that language in of itself is uh, supported by the Almighty through the idea of inspiration and innate nature. With that in mind, that's why you find in Arabic, for example, letters that are used in words actually indicate a meaning just by the letter, like the letter jim. You'll find words that talk about covering, except for something unseen, uses the letter jin almost always. Interesting. So hijab, yeah. jannah, jinn. Jen, etc. Yes, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, these seven is very, very interesting aspect. So we go back to this concept of hijab. It is Islam does recommend modesty in the dressing of a certain formality, and it is of stages, and depending on the circumstance. Nowadays, for example, in the West, there are sisters that take off the head hijab, hair hijab, because unfortunately they're being harmed. Mm -hmm. And that Islam teaches them to do that, you know, preserve yourself. Right. But there are also sisters that keep their hijab and they go to work. And sometimes they're even paid less than they have the credentials of a male and a person that doesn't necessarily dress the same way, but they're being paid less. And sometimes they're treated well, sometimes not very often, but sometimes they're not treated well, but they still have that self-dignity. You see, so in the end, everyone meets the Almighty based upon their sincerity and the circumstances they're in. So you're saying that a woman who is Muslim, that may not be wearing a hijab, who is of the age, may have a story behind it. I have a story, definitely. And sure. maybe God has given her a pass. That's right. Just sure. a specific pass to her. That's great, yes. Because whether she's in harm's way, yes. or maybe she's uh, making people at work uncomfortable, or vice versa. So I mean, yeah, she, she needs to take it off from to have medical intervention or to right. do the medical intervention right, like right. pulling up her sleeves yeah you got to pull up your sleeves and you just right. keep it covered you got to see a doctor you have to do or you're the doctor and you have to pull up your sleeves to deal with someone right there's exceptions so there's see? exceptions yes so but what i'd like to say here is like imam abu hanifa etc he talks about the discussion surroundings environment does affect rulings so some rulings like in your medina and you're in the prophet's mosque a ruling there could be different with a person here in the States. Mm -hmm. You see, I mean, I'm, that, I'm that pretty, it's very flexible in that sense. I'm pretty grateful that here in Oregon, yeah. uh, people are pretty understanding. Yeah. And I mean, it's more like a 70, 30 thing. Yeah. Depends on where you go, really, sure, you sure. know, but it seems like, I mean, my wife covers yeah, and, uh, and she, it's funny because she's American and she gets yes. questions uh, more than I do. I, people think I'm Hispanic, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and so people don't know that I'm Middle yeah, Eastern, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but her, she's yeah. an American yeah. born and raised, Mashallah. but she wears the headscarf. So, I mean, it's iconic, right? Yeah. You see the headscarf immediately, you know, exactly. that really yeah. equals to uh, being a Muslim. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, sometimes she gets a hard time, yeah. but we're always overwhelmed by the support. Yeah of people when she does get a question or a comment sideways comment yeah. we're overwhelmed with with uh you know the support and love that we get from other people that say hey you know just ignore that person they're they haven't really understood what it is yeah, and yeah. and so i i feel f fortunate here in oregon yes, that you know people are really understanding to add to that yeah. this is a side point for all the males listening if yes. your wife or sister or mother chooses to wear the hijab you yourself should be proud and you, you yourself should protect her and stand up for her and respect her, respect her more than your own self, walk next to her, be proud of her. Right. It's very important. Yeah, yeah, mashallah. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, really quick, just briefly touch on the covering of the face. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, so the covering of the face is a discussion among Islamic jurisprudence scholars. What does that mean? Amongst whom? Jurisprudence scholars, so fiqh, ulama al-fiqh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so in the Quran, as you can see, the Quran, it, it talks about hijab, jilbab, it talks about these things. The discussion is what was meant. So you look at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, there were some females that chose to cover their face. It's true. No one can really deny that. But the question is, was it, was it, is it an Islamic implementation? Or is it a cultural practice or an acceptable practice known as ibaha, etc.? 
like a requirement. Uh, means permissibility. You can take oh. it off or you can keep it on. It's up to oh, you, okay. whatever the circumstances. So uh -huh. as a result, in Islamic history, you go to various regions of the world. Sometimes they practice it a certain way yeah. or another, but all of are acceptable. So for example, now you might go to Saudi Arabia and you might find it quite prevalent, the covering of the face. Right. But in Saudi Arabia as well, you also find women taking off this, the, this known as niqab or the covering of the face. Um, the color of their jilbab, the color of their hijab, you might find it uh, one for, for, formidable color. And then you go to North Africa and their hijabs are very colorful. Right. And the way they dress in their hijab style is slightly different, but acceptable and it's Islamically acceptable. And if you go to India, it's same thing. Same thing. Even in Jordan. Even in Jordan, exactly. Yeah. So what I think is important for people to understand is that uh, there are things that are practiced. Islam is teaching something like modesty, hijab, but it gave permissibility for the usage of the culture to choose how. So, mm. so that, we talked about the male's hijab right. for the male gender. I don't necessarily need to wear something as an Ara Arabian dress, a thobe. Mm -hmm. right? I'm wearing pants here. I'm wearing Western, Western clothing. Right. So the goal is the preservation, self-respect, self-dignity, the covering of certain elements, because clothing is beautification. I think what's important for people as a side note, we feel nowadays that a woman is more beautified with less clothing. Mm. But when she puts on more clothing throughout history, it was a symbol of a queen, right? right. Or even a king. Yeah. But in, right now it's kind of a change to what history holds as valuable or beautiful. So beauty is very subjective. We have to understand that. We go back to what we're saying. Islam is calling for things. It allows permissibility at times for culture to fill in the gap how to perform this thing. Right. What is peace? What is uh, law and um, uh, civility in a society or driving? Right here we have laws to keep ourselves preserved, not speeding or drinking while driving, etc. Right. Right. And that's part of Islam. That's part of Sharia. Right. And you might go to another area and the laws of the road is slightly different. For example, if it is for the betterment, it's considered applicable and part of Sharia and acceptable. For example, so culture has a tremendous impact on the goals of Islamic teachings. You can be an American Muslim, you can be Cat Stevens, as you can understand, you know, Yusuf right. Islam, the singer, Dave Chappelle, etc. They, they implement certain cultural styles. No one's perfect, people make mistakes, right? Of course, but you see, culture we were created that way. Yeah, makes right, sense. Yeah. I am going to be talking about Sharia next episode, but I do want to ask you one last question sure. before we wrap this episode sure. up. And uh, hopefully have you back on next week Inshallah. because yeah. um, I'm loving every everything you're saying, yeah. brother, brother. Mashallah, you, you um, are a, a encyclopedia of knowledge, God bless you. I a walking that. encyclopedia. Well, thank you, kind of you. <laughs> Dr. Yusuf. <laughs> um, so we covered women. We covered you know Jesus and 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 prayer and whatnot. But I, I kind of want to talk about free will. Yes, and you know. And that also in, in includes with women covering, and it's their free will to yeah. choose to cover, yes. not. And, and prayer is free will to choose to pray or, or not. But you know, there's this this question that a lot of people, especially if they're agnostic or uh, atheist, ask me. They they ask me. They said, you know, what good is free will if everything is predestined? Mm -hmm. If if you know, like if God already knows if we are going to heaven or hell. Why doesn't he just put us there in the first place? Yeah. Why are we going through all of this? Yeah, yeah. You got to investigate. You got to dig deep. You got to research. You got to yeah, find. Yeah. It's not like God says, oh, here I am. You know, yeah. nowadays there's all these religions. And there's all these yeah. texts out there. And, and so how come, you know, God gave us free will? Or what is, what is the point of free will? Yes. Okay. So free will, human vision, the Almighty's vision. Mm -hmm. Human vision is limited. Almighty's vision is is limitless, okay? We are looking through the lens of a human being. The Almighty looks through his lens, and belongs to the Almighty's highest simile. With that in mind, the Almighty in his predestination, he placed with us free choice. In our sight, we have choice. In our sight, we are going about our day. In the sight of the Almighty, Everything through infinite knowledge occurs through his permissibility and will. Okay. I think the confusion occurs when a person starts trying to look into the sight of the Almighty, mm. whereas our vision is very limited. Right. right. When you look to your vision, it's your job to deal with what you have. Okay. No person will say, 
and Islamically it's unacceptable to say, even if we believe in divine decree, that I murdered the person through divine decree. Or I'm just going to sit in a mosque and not work to make money to spend on my family. God will provide. Yeah. This is not true. Okay. It's true that money doesn't necessarily physically grow on trees. But miraculous intervention could occur through a thought in your life. Let me try this thing out. And you go and you become successful. You'd never know. Okay. So this is really important. We are dealing with our side as human beings. Our job is not to look to the side of the Almighty. Our role and respects and what we're accountable for is what we have, what we're in, how we deal with things. No human will say we don't have, uh, we don't have free choice. Everyone makes a choice. Isn't that right? right? Right. Everyone makes a choice. With that in mind, you have a choice to seek God consciousness and you have a choice to reject it. It's up to you. The Almighty knows what you're going to choose but it would be unjust with the infinite knowledge of the Almighty if such a thing occurred without it actually happening. I've always told everybody, I said, you know, we live in a time that's linear, a point A and then there's a point Z, right? Yeah. And there's a beginning and an end. Okay. Where God, you mentioned last episode, is outside the realm of time. That's right. Time and that he knows what we have chose yeah. because he's outside of the realm of time. Spano, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is all-powerful yeah. you know this is where my mind starts yeah. to the limit i reach yeah. the limit where I, I you know i can't figure out does he know what we've chose because we've already chose it or does he know because he's so powerful and so almighty yeah. that he knows what we're going to choose sure traditional islamic theology says the almighty knows before we choose it okay okay because islamic monotheism says the almighty has no deficiency and like that's that's an attribute of his and that's why for muslims they don't hold the position that jesus is the infinite god so you find for example in the new testament jesus is asked when the day of judgment is and he says no one knows when that is not myself not the angels but the almighty he refers to him as the, the word that's used is the father in the english translation of the meaning so because of that specific moment that's one example as to how muslims perceive god and why they hold the view that Jesus cannot be the Almighty himself. Because there is deficiency. There's lack of knowledge. There's lack of knowledge. And the Almighty, he doesn't have this deficiency. Mm. The Almighty is the creator of knowledge. He's the creator of time. He is the creator of space. He's the creator of gravity. He is not uh, pressured by space or time or gravity or knowledge or anything of this nature. With that in mind, he has given us knowledge. And he has given us, through his infinite knowledge, free choice. So this is part of the, the divine decree of the Almighty. This is our sight now. Now my deck of cards and what I have and how, I sincere, how sincere I am in life is what I'm accountable for. I'm not accountable for what Case does with his deck of cards. And the Almighty is fair and just in that aspect. I think what's kind of interesting here to think about because the question you asked actually it's a very deep question and it can go on for a very right, long right. time right right we can have a whole, episode, yeah, yeah, a whole yeah. episode by itself right <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize that and and that in Islamic theology the sins you do you can't blame it on God because uh, the prophet makes supplication to God and he describes him as saying an evil is not part of God right and Abraham, in like in the Quranic verse, he says, He says, you know, he's saying that, uh, The Almighty is the one who feeds me. He quenches my hunger. And the Almighty is the one who quenches my, my thirst. And then he says, when talking about sickness, he says, And when I become sick, the Almighty is the one who cures me. You see, so Islamic theology doesn't address the Almighty out of respect for this as saying evil is of God. Mm. You see, the Almighty, in Allah tayyib, la illa tayyib. That's prophetic tradition. The Almighty is the most pure, the most good. He only accepts that which is of pure and goodness, and what He teaches is only of goodness and purity. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this is, I think, worthy of our consideration in this aspect. What I'd like to say is that we have a deck of cards and we need to try. The Almighty says in the Quran, the main purposes, one of the main purposes behind the design of the human being is so li'abudun. And li'abudun has also the meaning of li'arifuni. To come to know of God's existence is an opportunity. 
That's like one of the pinnacles of things. You have the opportunity with life. You have the opportunity to feel happiness with life through happiness. You know what also sadness means. Mm. And with sadness, you come to know what happiness is. And also in life, you have the opportunity and chance to find out what love means in the physical sense. And you also have the opportunity and chance to find out what other things are. You also hear one of the main and greatest goals is you have the opportunity to come to learn and come to the realization that God exists based upon your innate nature. So Islamic theology teaches the human being isn't born underwater. God is trying to help you out. He's trying to support you in your choices in life. He's trying to guide you and help you and direct you through innate nature, through processes of life, etc. And the day Islamic theology teaches you meet the Almighty, the Almighty is just. Okay, so now the discussion of salvation comes into play. Right? And the discussion of something known as hellfire comes into the discussion as well. Okay, everyone realizes that the choices we make, I think if you give yourself an honest look, a person like Hitler is accountable for things. Mm -hmm. Okay, So now you start to think of this idea of what is this hellfire. Of, co of course, hellfire in Islamic theology is not just this firing abode. It's different. It's not just that. It's a deeper. It's not just flames. This is not just flames. <laughs> it's a deeper element. Okay, but what's interesting is that when it comes to this thing, there's a discussion among Islamic theologians like everlasting punishment, mm. So some hold the views that this is real, and the others, others, other Islamic theologians from early periods, from the students of the companions, hold the view like Qatada and Hassan al-Basri and others. They hold the view that Khalidina fiha means a time frame. And that eventually hellfire has an end to it. But paradise, it always existed. And that's one of the signs of the mercy of the Almighty. Wow. Yeah. So people don't know that. Um, there are a number of verses of the Quran you can refer to back to this. Yeah. Well, Dr. Yusuf, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for yeah, all the information. I can't wait for next episode because we still have the Day of Judgment diet. A lot of people ask me about our diet yeah, and yeah. why, and, and modern times are different than old times, so why shouldn't we be able to eat some yeah. of the stuff that we can't still can't eat? Yeah. Uh, marriage and dating, you know, that's a little a big one. And we touched a little bit on it. You said uh, uh, um, a key word. You said sharia, and you probably already know that a lot of people fear Sharia on both the right and the left. Yeah. We would love to dig deep into what Sharia is. Um, also terrorism, yeah. why there's terrorism yeah. in Islam, you know, the meaning of jihad, that's a big one. A lot of people ask me and then science and nature. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about maybe um, other living beings across the universe. What is the jinn yeah. and the angels and what they're made from and, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to having you back yeah. next, uh, next week. And it. thank you so much, yes. Dr. Yusuf, taking Later. the time out of your day from doing all that, what you do and providing all the uh, great, amazing things that you do for all the people in Eugene and thank Corvallis and across Oregon and across the world. Thank you. Uh, thank you for making the time to come to the One Man Show. That was your episode 4B, talking about Islam. Uh, a little bit uh, more about that next week, inshallah, which means God willing. Uh, we'll have hopefully Dr. Yusuf back on the show to Definitely. talk a little bit more. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the One Man Show. As always, keep believing in yourself and I'll see you next week. <laughs>